as we hear the word of the Lord, we want the word of the Lord to pierce and penetrate our hearts, to bring us to a place in Him so that we can gain an understanding of who the Lord is and what the Lord's intention is for our lives. Uh, this has been a very interesting season for us as we begin to look at what the Lord is doing in this time. We are celebrating or commemorating at this time Black History Month. I want to at least acknowledge and acknowledge the fact that this month, month of February, is Black History Month. And in being Black History Month, we want to uh, uh, acknowledge and even uh, applaud the, uh, all of the uh, accolades, all the things that's been done by people of African American descent. That's one thing I want to, first of all, begin with as we celebrate this particular month. Uh, and it was so good on yesterday to be with our African brethren, <laughs> brothers from Africa. I remember even in being one time here at Cross Culture Church, right here at this church, we had a service. It was uh, many of the kings and priests, leaders, apostles, uh, chiefs and all that came right here to Cross Culture Church and we had a time of, of reconciliation. It was a reconciliation movement. At the, it was the commemoration of the 200th year of the end of the uh, Atlantic slave trade, Pan -Atlantic, uh, the Atlantic slave, slave trade. It was held one year. England, and then the next year it was held here in the United States. So we praise God whenever we have this opportunity to get with our brothers and sisters from across the ocean, and we see the connection between. I realize that I'm 44, is it 44.2% Nigerian? Uh, I was mentioning that when we did the 23andMe, they found out I was 44.2% Nigerian and 70-something percent West African. So <laughs> it's in my blood. <laughs> it's in my blood. <laughs> now today's message is going to be for serious inquirers. You heard the scripture. It's going to be for serious inquirers. It's a message to the church. It's different and understand there's a message to the church and then there's a message to the world. There's a different message to the world, message to the church. And it, uh, because we realize there are different priorities, different objectives, and truth can be found in both. So the scripture says, my little children, these things I write to you, Paul, this is John is writing, so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, he has an advocate. I'm going to focus our attention primarily upon that word when it speaks about the advocate, the advocate that we have with the Father and Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and then it gives definition of who he is. He himself is the propitiation for our sins. Now, these are big words. We're going to break them down as we continue to go into this message because I really want you to be clear as to what the Lord is in fact saying to us at this particular time in relation to his advocacy, 
and how Jesus Christ is, in fact, the propitiation for our sins. Now, one way, just to simplify this word propitiation, uh, is to understand the application of it, is that uh, the Lord God is merciful to sinners. He is merciful to sinners. Uh, so, as we understand what it means to be a sinner, and that's one thing that we have to come to understand. What does it mean to be a sinner? So we talk about this propitiation to look at the definition. That's the application, but the definition is it has to do with it. Watch this. It is the work of the cross. You heard the message already. That was a beautiful song, too, that was just sung. It is a work uh, of the cross, how Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, how that barrier which sin interposes between God and man is broken down. And it's by giving, it's by the giving up of his sinless life, his sinless life, sacrificially, Jesus Christ annuls the power of sin to separate between God, that separates God from the believer. Now, I want you to understand something that many people make a mistake concerning this. He did not, he went to distinguish the guilt of sin, the guilt of sin, understand not the conviction of sin, but the guilt of sin. Some people get those two mixed up. They understand, they look at what did the Lord get rid of? Did he destroy the conviction or was it the, it is really the guilt of sin because the conviction of sin must remain. There's something about conviction that must remain within our hearts because without an attitude of conviction, you would not appreciate the sacrifice that was made on our behalf. You see, some people, if you get conviction and, uh, and, and the whole thing of understanding and getting it mixed up, what will happen, you will, will not appreciate what God would have you to appreciate. It is understanding that he brought us in the right relationship with God and left us with the right attitude of what ourselves in relation to sin. We must still see sin as sin, even the sin that resides within us. Are you saying this? But understand, the conviction is not condemnation. Conviction is not condemnation. I'm going to explain this as we continue on. Because understand, when we, the conviction remains, but the condemnation of sin has been, got, has been dealt with as a result of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So now, look at what he says here. Give you scriptures to support that particular scripture. Because it talks about, when we think about the Lord, we must always see him as righteous and holy, the righteousness of God and the holiness of God. Understand, he never changes. I am the Lord thy God, I do not change. He has always been righteous, he has always been holy, and he will always be both righteous and holy. So if he changed being who he is, then we could find an excuse in order to, 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 to circumvent conviction. But as long as God is holy, we see ourselves in contrast to his holiness. And guess what? The light of his glory 
actually exposes to us the defects that reside within our lives. So understand, so I'm saying in essence, we always must be under conviction, but understand, but we're not condemned. Now, now look at what it says here to understand the gospel and the effects of the gospel here in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. He says, for, and this is Paul, it's so beautiful. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He says, for it is the power of God. He didn't say, he didn't just say in it is the power. He said the gospel itself is powerful. The gospel is powerful. It is the power of God to salvation. Without the gospel, there would be no salvation. It is the power of God to salvation. It leads us to salvation for everyone. But don't look at this thing of everyone to think that since Jesus Christ died for our sins, all sins have been removed from everybody's life. But watch what he says here. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Now, look at this word salvation. Salvation. We are saved from the penalties of sin. We are saved from the power of sin, but we're not saved from the presence of sin. So sin is still existent within this particular environment. Now watch what he is saying here. So since sin is all around us and understand our nature, we still live in this body. Our members can still be appealed to. Our members can still be appealed to that could get us to the place of yielding to the pressure that resides all around us. Understand, that's where we stand. So it's all around us. Sin is everywhere, and sin is in this body. So if we just allow the body to have its way, you know what you're going to do? You're going to sin. You're going to sin. You're going to gravitate. You see, the gravitational pull of sin would cause your body to move in that particular direction. But watch what he says here. Look at the Word of God. The Word of God, I like this scripture. It says the Word of God is both quick and it's powerful and it's sharper than any twitched sword. It, it pierces first. It divides. Because unless the gospel penetrates our hearts, it cannot bring about division. The division or the separation that's required to keep us from yielding to the pressure. How much word does? But it first has to penetrate. In, in other words, the word can go forth, but how much word has gotten through to you? How much word has attached itself to your life so that now that word has become life within you? He says, but when the word becomes life within you, it must pierce, then it divides. It divides soul from spirit, joint from marrow, motions, you see, from uh, thoughts and actions, the things that you thought, you see, you don't act upon it. You know this thing that they, they say, whatever you feel, do it. Just do it. No, when the Word of God comes in, there is an interval between thought and action. You, 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 you would do such and such and such, but now that Word in you becomes a buffer so that you do not yield to the pressures that the flesh would have you yield to. He says, so now it is both the desert of the thoughts and tents of the heart. 
So now look at what he's saying. Paul was saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Now, wait a minute. If he says, I was, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, what would cause an individual to be ashamed of the gospel? You have to think about this. What would cause an individual to be ashamed of the gospel? Because the gospel itself can produce shame. Now we go back to understand condemnation and conviction. It can produce shame. It can produce shame. How is shame? Shame of the gospel, it can bring you to the place whereby now you deny the gospel, you reject the gospel, you, 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 you avoid the gospel because you don't want the gospel to interfere or interrupt with the lifestyle that you are living or determined to continue to live. So understand, so the gospel interrupts your behavior. The gospel, when it comes in, it begins to expose to you things that reside within you. Let's say the propensities to move in a particular direction, they're exposed as a result of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So a person is ashamed. You say, I'm not ashamed of the Bible. I'm not ashamed of the reading of the Word. I'm, but understand this. There are, a lot of, there are a lot of surface ways of saying that we are not ashamed, but the deep-hearted, the root Within the root within your heart, you will still be ashamed if you're not hungry and eager to accept and receive the gospel. He says, but, but the reason you know if you're not ashamed is that you recognize the fact that it is the power. It is the power uh, of God to salvation. It leads to salvation. It leads to the fulfillment or the fullness of salvation. It leads to a complete metamorphosis whereby now you begin to despise the sin that resides within you. But if you don't despise the sin, you won't be convicted by the gospel that exposes the sin within you. Now, I, hear, I hope you hear what I'm saying. When we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're going to hear some things that make you feel uncomfortable in and of yourself. If you are determined to remain as you currently are, you see, the gospel is going to disturb you. It's going to come in and going to say some things about you that you probably would not be so eager to hear or to learn about yourself. But the gospel is doing you a favor because that's all leading towards the completion of your salvation. He says, so now it's to everyone who believes. He believes. I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe him to be the author of my salvation. I believe him to be the author of my salvation. He's the author of faith, but he is also the finisher of my faith. So I believe him from the beginning to the end. I must continue to believe the gospel. I allow the gospel, I allow the word of God to have its work within me, to have his work within me, to purge me and to purify me. We see that in the book of Malachi. He purges us and purifies us uh, as a result of receiving his word. But it's a purging, it's a purging effect of the word. So now he says to the Jews first and also to the Greek for in it, you see, it is the righteousness of God. It is for in it, the righteousness, the righteous standard of God is revealed. God reveals his standard, his righteous standard to us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see the measure, we see the measure of God. We see the measure of Christ contained within the gospel. So now, anything less than that is sin. 
You see, anything less than that, say, but we see the measure of Christ within the gospel. He says, so now it is, it is the righteousness of God is revealed, and here's how it is. From faith, now we bring us into the picture. We begin to see God, righteous God, holy God, and then we see us. It is living a life of faith, and we go from faith to faith. You see, the increasing of faith, we go from one degree of faith to a high degree of faith. You see, we're progressing in our trusting God and believing God. And, and God was showing me, how do, you, how do you increase in the area of faith? It's through the testing of your faith, the trying of your faith. It is when you go through challenges, when you are faced with opposition, you're faced with circumstances that may occur in your life. And understand, those circumstances will come in order to destroy you and to undermine your faith. But understand, if anything, it ought to strengthen your faith because you get to see God operating on a level that you had not seen him operate before. He says, for us, from faith to faith, as is written, the justified. Now, you got to see these words. As we look at propitiation, I'm going to go deeper into that again. The justified, the justified shall live by faith. Because understand, uh, we have to understand the reckoning of righteousness we are reckoned righteous, the imputed righteousness that we have received from the Lord. It is it, it, different from imparted righteousness. You see, it is saying that we are reckoned righteous. When we talk about reckoned righteousness, he is saying, what one writer, what one author put it this way, he says, you get a chance to use Jesus Christ's credit card. <laughs> you get a chance to use his credit card. He said, I tell you what, you can use my credit card. Now, as a result of using my credit card, I'm entrusting you with all of the resources that bag it up. I got the money in the bank. I'm the one that can have the good credit. Jesus Christ has the good credit. But I allow you on behalf of what I've done, I'll let you use my credit card and you can show. But you have to be, you see, you have to be responsible in using it. So now we talk about faith. Faith brings us to the place of responsibility. If I'm going from faith to faith, I must become all the more responsible unto God like never before. So now we go back to conviction. When, when he shows me, when he was exposed to me, things that may be out of order or misaligned, I don't despise the fact that he showed it to me. But I applaud the fact that he loved me enough to show me the defects and defaults that reside within my life that would restrict me or hinder me from moving towards the, the fullness of the salvation that has been promised, the possession of the promise that he has made unto me. So now, the just shall live by faith. He shall live by faith, uh, and it's, it's from faith to faith. Is revealed, his righteousness is revealed from faith. Look at the progression. It is his righteousness from faith based upon what he has revealed to me about his standard that I've trusted God to work within me. And then he shows me more of his righteousness. 
He shows me more of his righteousness. You know, have you been in a place in your life you thought, well, I must be all right because I, I, I finally got over. I'm not smoking. I'm not chewing. I don't run with those that do. I'm finally at a place where I'm not running women. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. I'm doing the other. And we think we have bragging rights. We say, look, praise God, I have arrived. That's the worst place to ever be in. No, you lose your conviction when you think you've arrived. You lose your conviction. In other words, the Lord can no longer. You see, the gospel that you received yesterday, the manner that you received in the past, is all the manner that, you, at any, that you're willing to receive. Yesterday's manner. You could receive yesterday's word, but you're not ready for today's word. So now, look at what God does. We, we mentioned the holiness of God and the righteousness of God. See, what God does, he brings us a place where his love is balanced by fear. He, his love is balanced by fear. You see, that now, uh, his love, we understand God loves us, and we see the retribution. How does he judge the unrighteous? We say he is just. How does he judge the unjust? So we see the, the, the pendulum swinging from one side to the other. God is righteous. He is righteous altogether. And then he exposed to us his standard of righteousness through the gospel. And he says, this is what I'm moving you into becoming. But this is where you are right now. This is where you are right now. You're, you're, you're not, yes, I declare, you are declared righteous because of the fact that you've received righteousness imputed as a result of what Jesus Christ has already accomplished. In other words, I see you as the finished product while you go through the process. That's what Jesus Christ is saying. He said, because the faith that you have in Jesus Christ will deliver you to a point whereby that which I see will ultimately manifest within your life. He says, so now, but, but, but now we begin to look at, but what on the other side of this? On the other side of his love, that's God's love. God's love being displayed to us. God's love being poured upon us and us receiving dimensions and degrees of his love. But on the other side of that, what are the penalties of, for the unrighteous? What, are the, what, what, what would happen on the other side of this equation? Then we have something called the wrath of God. The wrath of God. The wrath of God. Now, we talk about the wrath of God. We talk about God's anger, God's wrath, God's indignation, how God has, our God is a, is a consuming fire. You see, those words uh, speak of the wrath of God. So now, when we think about the wrath of God. Let's look at the scripture. Let's look at the scripture so we can look at it here in Romans chapter 1 verse 18. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed. Just like I said, the, the wrath of God is revealed and is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, we first of all said that the righteousness of God is revealed. It is revealed from faith to faith. So in other words, we get a revelation of the righteousness of God on an increasing basis, levels of, 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 of revelation of his righteousness. But now on the, other, the flip side of that, it says, for the wrath of God 
just like the other word, is revealed. So there are layers and degrees of comprehending his wrath. Is revealed from heaven, from heaven, but it's against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who do not love the gospel. Who do not love the gospel because they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They suppress the truth. You see, they make the truth fit their lifestyles. Their attitude toward the Word of God is that I'm looking for something that agrees with me rather than challenge me. Are you seeing something here? I'm looking for that which, which, you see, I would like to think that I'm okay. That I'm all right, you're all right, all of us are all right. We're not such bad people. We're good. I'm good. But then understand, if God didn't say that, Jesus is good. Why calleth thou me good? There's none good but one. You see, that, that, that's, what, that's what Jesus cried. And he was really testing him to see if he really understood what goodness was all about. Because he was right when he said, uh, good master. But he said, why do you call me good? What's in you that you could call me good? That's none good but the Father. So, so in this, it is the wrath of God which is revealed. It is revealed. Understand what he says here. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. It's the same source, the same place that his righteousness and his holiness comes from. His wrath is revealed. And, we be, and, and it's good that we see it as big because it keeps us balanced. Because now we're at a place where there, I call it healthy fear. There has to be a healthy fear. Uh, the Bible says that, you see, it says that the, that the, the, the uh, fear of God, the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Let, let, let's break this down because you said, well, what do you mean? I got, to, I got to fear God. Look at this. Do you, healthy fear is being, taking precautions. Uh, I'm not a electrician, but I have enough sense to know that I'm not to stand in a, in a bucket of water and, and, and plug in something into the electric socket while I'm standing in a bucket of water and thinking that if I'm all wet, that there's no way I'm going to be executed. No, I have faith in God. I believe the Word of God. God can keep me from anything ever happening within my life. So you become so foolish as to begin to take foolish uh, 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 steps towards doing things that doesn't make sense at all. So you step into, you, you go outside and, and, and you expose yourself to danger. You, you see that? But, but healthy fear is, I respect the fact that this thing could be harmful to me. I respect the fact that it would be harmful. I respect God enough that I don't want to be on his bad side. Are you hearing it now? Because I say with all, if he is all powerful, he has the power to, 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 to destroy he has the power to, to do much more harm and damage than any person could possibly cause in my life. You see, he has the power of life and death. He has that power. God is all-powerful. 
And look here, the devil is even under his authority. The devil can't get any further than God permits. So now, we see the wrath of God is revealed. If you don't understand that, look at how out of balance your life will become. That this thing is, you're not playing with lightweight stuff. This thing is very, very serious. This walk that we have with the Lord is a very serious walk. You, you might as well, like I said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. But do you love the gospel? Do you love? Now watch what happens. Now we come from the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, to a place of becoming, uh, we grow to a level of wisdom whereby now our motivation is not fear, but love. It is the beginning of wisdom, but then it grows to the place whereby we're doing what we're doing because we love him enough to do it. We love him enough to do it. We're doing that which pleases him because of our love for him. Beforehand, it was that I know that if I offend God, there's a hell to shun. There's something, there's some consequences, there's some penalties that would be measured against me. But then I get to the place of understanding something. If you don't start with the law, you'll never move to grace. You have to start with the law. Some people say, well, the law is this and the law is bad. No, the law is good. I'll show you scriptures in that. The law is good because the law, without the law, you would not have any knowledge of sin. The law exposes you to the knowledge of sin. But now that you have knowledge of the sin, you understand that thou shalt not, then you can appreciate thou shalt love the Lord with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength. You'll never get to that place until you understand that thou shalt not. You should not. Say. In other words, you're, 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 the prohibitions that God placed upon your life prepares you to be able to move on the other side. Now you get to the place, now I love the Lord with all. So, so understand, now if the motivation is love, if you are receiving the Word of God because you love the Word of God, are you here because you feel compelled to be here? Are you praying because it's a certain time and that it's, it's, it's all right to have a discipline, but am I doing it just because this is the hour prayer that I'm supposed to put my time in and I'm supposed to get these done, things done a particular way, or am I anticipating participating in this particular thing? So when it is an anticipation, I'm doing this from the depth of my heart rather than performance. You see, we're moving from the law to grace. I don't care whether you were born back in ancient times before Christ or after Christ, you're still living under Old Testament law if the motivation is merely the fear of the Lord. But when you move from the Old Testament law to New Testament uh, grace, it is saying, now I'm doing what I will to do. Understand, that applies to every area of your life. When you're married, do you love your husband? Do you love your wife? Or are you just doing what you're compelled to do because you have a contract? Now, listen to what we're saying here. You see, contractual love is legalism. But understand, love from the heart is that which flows from the heart. This expression of love towards one another. So now, look at what he's saying. So the wrath of God is revealed against, it's revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They hold back the truth in order to practice unrighteousness. 
we mentioned, now they are despising God's word or they twist his word to say what they would much rather say. You see, how can I still go to church and still do my thing? I must find a word that agrees with the things that I'm doing. Are you hearing something? I must find a message that agrees. And what it's saying is that the wrath of God ultimately will be revealed against such. It will be ultimately because it said it is revealed. Now, you have to understand when it says it will be, it is revealed, it is saying some of us will see a glimpse of it. You know, the Bible in the seventh, third division of Psalms, Psalm where it says that uh, my foot almost slipped when I saw how the wicked were prospering and the wicked and the righteous looked like they were going through hell. He said, all of this was going on until I entered into the sanctuary of God and then the Lord allowed me to see the end of the wicked. He gave me prophetic insight. He gave me spiritual insight to see where all of this stuff was headed. And until I saw where it was headed, man, it looked like they had the advantage. Man, these folk making billions and billions of dollars. They drive, they have yachts and, and, and everything you could think of. And here I am, I, I can't even pay my bills. He said, look like God is blessing them and he's cursed us. But then God says, you come and hear the word. Come into the sanctuary of the Lord. He showed you the end of the wicked. He said, they're in a slippery place that theirs is merely within time. But eventually the time will run out. How many of you would like to be one of the celebrities, I'm not calling any names here, that's now died, but were very popular in the time that they lived? How many of you would love to be in the grave with them right now and say, well, at least I can reflect upon the good times and all the things that I did and the people that applauded me when I was a celebrity. But the celebrities that's dead, you see, they met whether they, if they were not saved, They've met a fate that was a slippery place. Now, look at this. I, I want to go further in this because I want you to see something here. So now, uh, uh, wrath of God is revealed. If self-justification is the end game, then there's no need for the Holy Spirit to continue his work in you. Because I'm going to show you some about advocacy, the work of the Holy Spirit. Sin, uh, what he does we begin to see sin in contrast to righteousness. His righteousness in contrast to our sin. Now, now this is what uh, Jesus, Jesus said concerning the Holy Spirit. Here in 16th chapter of St. John, begin with verse 7. He says, nevertheless, I tell, I, I, I tell you the truth. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he comes, now literally say, he's Jesus Christ who was, they were following Jesus. The disciples were following Jesus. Jesus was the example. Jesus demonstrated the power of God before them he did it in such a way to show them the power that resided within them. That's what he's doing. He was showing them what they were intended to do by example. He says, now he's saying, now I'm getting ready to leave here. But if I don't leave here, all you're going to get is what you're getting now. 
He said, but God's, my objective and the Father's objective is for you to do greater works than these. The Father's objective is for you to spread out and for it to be like many Jesuses all over the place. Now, watch what he says here. He said, and if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. He will not come. The Holy Spirit's not going to come and dispense to you that which is within me to the degree that you can duplicate the work and spread it all over the world. He said, but if I depart, he says, I will send him to you. He said, what will happen? I would have completed my assignment, and now that which is of God and, the, and me, as having completed the assignment, will reside in you. The completed work of Jesus Christ will reside within you. He says, and when he comes, watch the first thing he does. He convicts, he will convict the world of sin. Now, 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 it says the world, it didn't just say the sinful world, but he will convict the whole world of sin. The reason I say it's not just the sinful world, and that's a lot of folk teach it like it's just the sinful world, but it adds to it and righteousness and judgment. You see, now it is speaking of the conviction of sin, the conviction of righteousness, and the conviction of judgment. Are you seeing something here? So it is saying, now when it says the conviction of sin, sin in contrast to his sinlessness, that we begin to see or have exposed to us the sin that resides within us. But that's not all and of righteousness in contrast to his righteousness. Because if all the righteousness you were to attain is the righteousness that you've already attained, then there would be no need for the Holy Spirit. He says, so in other words, what you've attained to this point is not all that God has uh, prepared for you or have made available to you. He says, and of judgment. And of judgment. In other words, he is saying when he talks about judgment, you see, the judging that will take place. Now understand that there's a judgment of the, of, of the righteous, and there's also a judgment of the unrighteous. Now that judgment of the righteous is not a judgment as to whether you're going to go to heaven or not. But all of your works will be measured. All of your works will be weighed as to how much of it is Christ based upon what he would have you to do and how much of it is merely performance-based based upon what you did on your own. So now, he says, so now when he comes, but the conviction means is that he will let you see what's behind whatever you might have been doing or whatever you might have done when the Holy Spirit comes. So the Holy Spirit brings conviction. He brings conviction to all of us. It is not just sentence, but he brings conviction to all of us. You see, he says, so he convicts the world of sin, righteous judgment of sin because you do not believe in him. It is because you don't believe in him. So we begin to see, he began to, how much faith do you have? You're going from faith to faith. How much do you really believe him? He says, of sin, he will say, you do not... Jesus even said one time, when, he, when the Son of Man comes, will he find, will he find any faith in, in all the earth? 
Will he find faith anywhere? Will there be faith? Now understand, that's not a morbid picture, but he says, will there be any true, authentic faith? Will people really be exercising true faith? Now, I'm, I mentioned earlier, this is to the church now. This is to the church. So when we talk about conviction, we talk about conviction, we must measure ourselves. We must examine ourselves as to where we stand in relation to what you're hearing even this day. You see, my responsibility primarily is to you, but not just to you, but it's to the body of Christ. And, 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 and what I'm saying to you is, is that we must not lose conviction. Because, you see, when the Bible talks about, uh, uh, in the Old Testament, when it talked about shame, it talked about shamelessness, that they would not even blink, they would not even blush, even when they were sin. They, at that point, began to to minimize the effect of sin. They didn't see it as being something that was against God. They thought it was just something that they wished to do. He says, so now he says, of sin and, and of righteous judgment, sin because they do not believe in me. Sin, so the con conviction of sin is that you will see the ultimate effect of sin. What is the wages of sin? The wages of sin is death, ultimate death. I and mean, it's not death, just the cessation of physical life, but it's spiritual life. It is, it is being uh, separated permanently from the presence of God. And you'd be surprised how much God is, is, uh, is providing for us in this particular day because he allowed his son to, rise, uh, to shine on the just as well as the unjust. You see, how many benefits, how beneficial is the grace of God to sinners, not just the saints, but even the sinners, you see that? But the day will come when, that, when, when the grace of God is removed, when the, the things that God is providing that you probably had not even paid attention to would not no longer be there. You see, we mentioned this by just gospel. You see, the things that God is providing will no longer be there. You said, well, I just wish I could hear right now is, well, I got to go to church. Oh, Lord, I got to hear another sermon. Lord, I'm so tired of this. I'm so tired of that. I'm so tired. But the time will come when, when you'll say, is there, I would give all that I have, all that I've acquired, all that I've attained in my life for just one morsel of truth. Because can you imagine living in a world where truth has been removed completely? Where righteousness has been removed completely, where people, everybody does whatever is right in his or her own eyes, and for the most part, becoming more wicked than ever before because wickedness breeds wickedness. Can you imagine living in an environment like this? That's, the, that's what hell is all about. Well, I'll be with my buddies. No, your buddies will be so wicked. Your buddy's trying to kill you. Well, you're already dead, you know, but your buddy's against you. There's no love. You say that camaraderie that you have with your friends, gone. Because there's no one, there's no one that you're concerned about at that point but yourself. But there's no protection for you at that given time. So judgment of sin, because I, uh, you do not believe. Of righteousness, because I go to my father's world and you see me no more. And of judgment, because the ruler of this world is already judged. The rule of this world is already, he said that judgment has already been pronounced upon him. It's just waiting on his execution. So now, look at the gospel. I see, I'm watching 
uh, my time, but I want you to see something here. Look here at the responsibility of ministry, and I'm going to talk about covering. I'm going to talk about covering, spiritual covering, spiritual apostolic covering. You know, this whole word of bishop, uh, a bishopric, it has to do with uh, a, uh, a bishop is one that provides covering, uh, apostolos, and all of that, bringing the message, making sure that the message of God is delivered, uh, and all of that. But, but he says, and, and the qualifications and qualities of a bishop here in Titus chapter 1, verse 7, it says, for a bishop must be blameless. Because if I'm, blameless means not perfect, but blameless. Perfection is when you have, none of us are perfect, but being blameless is that you're not practicing sin. You're not practicing sin. As a steward of God, not self-willed, as a steward, you're serving God, not self-willed, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not quick-tempered. Now, now, not given over to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. Now, when, you, when I read all the things, the quali qualities, the qualifications for a bishop, and understand what a bishop is, when he talks about the day of your visitation in the 19th chapter of uh, Luke, it says the day of your bishopric, the day of your covering, uh, it is saying that these are areas that the Holy Spirit will continue to work in when a covering or a bishop is yielding himself or herself to the Lord. As we yield ourselves to the Lord, you see, I would say these are the areas that the Lord is paying special attention to, but the devil is attacking with a vengeance. He's attacking those areas with a vengeance. He says, so if, if there is a propensity towards becoming self-willed, quick-tempered, given to wine. Now, we understand wine. It could be drugs. It could be many other things. Violent, greedy for money. Whatever that thing may be, these are categories. And if, these are, if there's a propensity towards those particular things, that's why so many leaders fail, because if you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to govern your life, you see, you succumb to the pressure that's brought to bear against you. Now, we're talking about covering. So, so it is with every member in, in, in categories. There are things that the devil is, is out to, to, to destroy you by, destroy you with. Every one of you, every one of you, there's something that the devil has, he knows. He said, well, this is what I desire to develop within you. And the devil says, I'm going to see to it that it never develops. And we said a devil. So now the Lord sends forth his angels. And he says, what I'm sending you, I'm sending you an arsenal of angels to protect you, to guard you, to oversee your life. But you must rely upon me and the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you in all truth. So therefore, you need to hear the word on a regular basis because now you're subject to attack. But on the other hand, he said, well, uh, 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 he doesn't believe the word. The word is op optional. The word doesn't mean much to him or her. So therefore, you see, you put yourself in position for the enemy to attack you without any defense. So he says, so now, these are things. He said, but now, look at the other side, but hospitable, lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast, the faithful word, 
as he had been taught. If he had not been taught, he can't hold fast to something he had not been taught. But he holds fast to the faithful word, not just the opinion of his leader, but the faithful word in which he had been taught, that he may be enabled or able by sound doctrine both to exhort, and look at this word, and what? And convict. You see that word pops in there? And convict those who contradict. <laughs> he says, so now what happens, church, we ought to be able to say to the wayward with words and deed that there is another way to live. There's a different direction to be taken that you will be, of, uh, it's optional now. You don't have to go the way of the world. But that's an option made available for your life, you see. But if we are not there, then we are more the problem than we are the solution to the problem. Do you see that? So, so the biggest weapon in the devil's uh, arsenal are those that's supposed to be, but not really committed. The lack of commitment not being there. You see, that's his greatest arsenal. He will use those that despise the word of God, but yet not know. Almost like it was in Malachi. When did we, uh, when did we despise your table? When did we call the testimony? When did we call it despicable? You see, all those things. People not knowing that they're working against God when they do not give their all to him. He's looking for wholehearted commitment. So now, let me just give you a little bit more here because I want you to see this thing of advocacy now. Uh, we mentioned that his whole objective is for your faith to increase. He wants you to grow in grace, and he wants you to grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So now, he, he, he mentioned that uh, uh, Titus, but then Jude the says some things here. Jude 14, he says, now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints. What is he coming to do? To exercise judgment on all. Now, do you see something else? To convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds. You see that? He says he's coming with 10,000 to convict all of them of their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now, that's what he says here. He's coming, in other words, he's coming with 10,000 of his saints, because, you know, we're going to judge angels. We're going to judge angels. But he's coming with 10,000 of his saints to begin to uh, execute judgment. He said, your testimony, your, uh, you're going to find. So, so uh, what happens, he will convict, refute them, and they will be found guilty. They will be found guilty. That's what the Lord will do. Jesus Christ showing up, he will show up with some of his saints in order to execute that degree of judgment. We mentioned uh, the judgment then is condemnation. 
condemnation is found guilty, sentenced to punishment. If you were found guilty, there would be no need for a savior. You were guilty. You were guilty. But then because of Jesus, because of Jesus, your penalty has been uh, removed. The penalty of sin. You don't have to be executed. That's what the Bible says in the scripture that we're familiar with, John 3.16. We know that one. For God, what? So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But read the rest of it. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world may be saved through him. His objective was that the world be saved through him, but through the message that we deliver to the world. And then he goes on to say, when that message is delivered, and I would venture to say, even in this house, I deliver a message, you hear it, some receive it, and some don't. But look what he says here. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. It didn't say whoever heard, but whoever believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. But he already said that the world is already judged. But you align yourself with the world. So therefore, the condemnation, you take on the condemnation that's within the world. He said, so you're condemned already. Because he who believes not, you see, he who believes in the name of God, uh, the name of the only begotten God. Because he did not believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And, this, and then he gives explanation as to what condemnation is. This is the condemnation. Look at how clear it is. Let me make it as, as absolutely as clearly as I can. He said that light has come into the world. In the beginning, you see, was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He said uh, light came, but men loved darkness. There they had a propensity, an, an affinity towards, they had a love towards darkness rather than light. Their hearts gravitated towards the familiar rather than that which would cause change to occur within them. He says, and they loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. They loved it because, you see, we love what we grow familiar with. And then we adapt to it and we take on the identity of the things that we gravitate towards. We become so much part of it that we call, we become one with it. This is who I am. This is who I am. So now understand, but when the light comes, God is wanting you to see your truest identity. He says he wants you to identify with him so he can expose to you his, his ultimate intentions for your life. And not only will he expose to you the ultimate intentions for your life, he will provide the grace 
for you to develop into becoming something or someone that you would never have become unless that light had shone upon you. He's, I'm going to show you what, what, what I see. You see, listen, when you give your life to the, to the Lord, this is what he does now. Going back to what I said earlier, when you give your life to the Lord, you, you see, sin is all over you. You're so messed up, and people see you and say, I thought you were saved. Look at you. You still look dirty. You still look grimy. You still look messed up. He said, there's still stuff you're, you're fighting with, but that's a different heart inside of you. There's a different heart inside of you. And that heart that you have, this new heart within you, you see, will, will begin to work itself, it'll work its way within you, and, and it's purging you of all the stuff that's attaching itself to you. So that now, you see what I mean? But, but as far as God is concerned, look at the covering of grace, imputed righteousness. He see you as the finished product. He see you as having already been perfected. Because your covering is Jesus Christ. He see you as being in Christ. In Christ. It doesn't excuse you because your objective is for that imparted uh, righteousness to, be, uh, to take place within you. So that the, the word of God can purge you of all the residue. Let me tell you something. I mentioned the other week. I said when, we, when we're really born again, then our desire and passion is to be changed but we must, we want to hear a message. We want to hear from God those things that can produce that degree of change within us. And we never lose that because the word continues to expose to us the areas of imperfection that still reside. When I get a person that's really, let's say, lived roughshod life before he came or she came to, to, to know the Lord, and that person said, I, I've had some come to me. He said, I, I want to stop doing this thing, and how can I stop doing that thing and the other? And, and I'm not as rough on that person as, as one would think. I would tell them, I said, look, I said, as long as you maintain a heart after God, as long as your will and you see that thing and you despise whatever that thing is, it, 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 what's going to happen? Yes, don't go back and practice it and re- continue, but, but replace the thoughts and, and the ideas with, with, with those that would be pleasing to God, meditate more on the Word, hear more of the Word, and what will happen, you're going to be surprised at what God will do. He will purge all of that. You won't even know when it falls out. I, I've seen molds upon one's body, and they put a band on the mold. They put a band on the mold. They squeeze the blood out of that mold. They squeeze them. So you're walking around and you say, well, uh, I have a mole. I have a mole. But you have a band. You have a band too. And that band is squeezing the blood out of the mole. And then eventually what will happen? It falls off. It falls off. You, it, it wasn't like every day. I wish you would fall off. I wish you'd fall off. No. If, you, if you're allowing the word of God to become first and foremost within your life. The word will purge you of whatever that thing may be. That you in your own strength would have been struggling with. Let me read the rest. I'm, I see I see it here now. But 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 he believes, we mentioned already, is already condemned. He didn't believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is a condemnation that light has come into the world. Men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone Practicing evil 
hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. You see that? He hates the light because he don't want, you see, he does or she does what they do under the cloak of darkness. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. And, and, and what happens, what happens? Yeah, sometimes you have, to tell, you have to tell on yourself. I'm not saying parade it around. But don't allow your life to be a secret. You need to let somebody know I'm struggling. I'm struggling in this particular area of my life. I'm struggling. But I'm struggling. I have not accepted it. I'm struggling. Are you hearing something here? I didn't accept it. I'm struggling. In a particular area of my life, I'm finding this to be a struggle. You know why it's a struggle? Because you hate it. It wouldn't be a struggle if you loved it. <laughs> if you just accept it, well, this is just the way it is. But it becomes a struggle. It becomes a struggle because you despise whatever it is. And in a loving community, in a loving environment, because the truth of the matter, we all struggle to some degree or another. Not always to the same degree, but whatever that is, but despise the sin, whatever that sin may be. I'm cutting off because I got much to say about faith and the right and even about the Holy Spirit as an advocate, Jesus Christ is being our advocate, and the Holy Spirit being our advocate, but we'll cover that next time. But God is wanting us to know that he is here. Jesus Christ being our advocate, what he's doing, he's sitting on the right hand of the Father. I can't wait to share that with you, what this all means, making intercession. He's saying, yes. He or she is struggling, but I cover them while they struggle. <laughs> it is something, I'll cover you while you're struggling. I'll cover you. And he says, I'm covering you because understand what I'm doing. And while you're covered, as you continue to hear the word, as you continue to pray, as you continue to trust me, the things that you struggled with yesterday you won't be struggling with them tomorrow. But then the light shines upon you, and you say, you know what? I never thought that it was real bad for me to just pick up a few pencils out of the desk off the, off the, uh, at my job and, and pens and whatever we make, you know, just taking stuff home. And I didn't think that was that bad, fudging on this thing or that. And the other. I didn't think that was that bad. You couldn't have handled that degree of light. I'm just using that as an analogy because some folks say, well, I won't, I won't steal nothing from job, but I'll, I'll lie like crazy. Or I might go fornicate. I mean, whatever that thing is, he is saying, you can't see whatever that thing is in the light that God will cause you to see it in until you allow him to work on the things that he has already revealed to you. Then he will show you something else. He'll say, would you be holy? Would you be perfect? Would you 
know what it means to be perfect? Is it your desire to be perfect? And then what happens? You see what I mean? It's a thing. And, and to be perfect is not your, 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 your straining as much. But it's, your, it, it's both desiring, acting upon what you believe, but it's also trusting in him. And as you trust in him to do what only he can do, God will work those things out of your life to bring you to the place where you're going from faith to faith, from glory to glory. So, Father, thank you for your word, and we pray that this message would have an effect and impact upon those of us who are called saints, those of us who are called believers, who are called as being the body of Christ. Because, Lord, as we have heard it said that many are called, but there are few that are chosen. And we want to be the chosen vessels, vessels of honor that are set apart for your exclusive use. So with this, Lord, I give you the praise. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God.